This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. It's Bill Bartholomew here with you as today we discuss the sugary beverage tax, which will be heard by the Rhode Island House of Representatives this Thursday. And we welcome in Open Door Health's Dr. Amy Nunn for a discussion on the health implications of consuming sugary beverages, who it impacts the most, and also the mechanics of the tax, the numbers, and how those dollars will be distributed back into the community to hopefully raise awareness and provide for more healthy food and beverage options for people here in the Ocean State community. And look, folks, you know, I'm someone who admittedly consumed way too much Coca-Cola and fortunately was able to eliminate it from my life and ever since have certainly felt a lot better. I don't know if that's anecdotal, but it certainly seems tied to the elimination of drinking Coca-Cola Classic with any kind of regularity, the dental impact that it has. I mean, look, it's one of those things where, you know, can we eliminate it entirely from our society? Should we be doing something like that? I mean, come on. I mean, I'm not sure that that's the direction to go, at least right now, but unquestionably, Um, From a public health standpoint and from an equity standpoint, there's a lot that can be done in terms of education and in terms of opportunities for people to choose other options, particularly from a young age, whereas we'll hear in the episode in just a few moments, this stuff is targeted at kids. You know, the the marketing strategies, the, um, the business strategies in terms of how it's stocked on shelves. I mean, there's a lot more to this than just someone, you know, free will. I'm going to I'm gonna crack open a can of uh, ice-cold Coca-Cola while I'm out golfing or something like that. And this goes beyond soda, too. I mean, this, as you'll hear, there's other beverages that fit the criteria for what this sugary beverage tax would impact. Now, going to the House of Representatives this Thursday for consideration, and we'll hear, again, in the episode, we'll hear the mechanics, we'll hear the dollar amounts, we'll hear how it all works out. And of course, I raised the point of anytime you raise taxes, there are people who are negatively impacted by that, particularly on the business side of things. So there's always that consideration in terms of dealing with any sort of tax increase here in Rhode Island or anywhere, right? It's not just a Rhode Island thing. So fascinating conversation. And by the way, this is episode 299. And this week, I'm going to be releasing episode 300 in the middle of the week. It's just sort of me reflecting slash ranting about doing this for 300 episodes and where it's taken me and where we as a a community here on this podcast, you the listeners, where we've all gone together. And then we'll have a third episode of the week coming out on Friday. So three episodes this week. If you'd like to become a B-Town supporter, there's a few ways you may do so. You can send a one-time donation to Venmo at Bill Bartholomew or become a sustaining member for as little as $3 per month. Simply head to patreon.com slash Bartholomewtown, where you can help sustain Rhode Island's number one podcast, providing independent journalism, opinion, analysis, and entertainment to you every single week. That's patreon.com slash Bartholomewtown, and at the $10 per month level, you'll get exclusive content, including our B-Town Insider episode that only the insiders at the $10 level get, patreon.com slash Bartholomewtown. Okay, enough about that. Let's get to the sugary beverage tax being heard this Thursday inside the House of Representatives with Open Door Health's Dr. Amy Nunn. Okay, so today we're talking about this um, sugary beverage taxation plan uh, that is making its way, has made its way through the Senate, is now about to be heard by the House. And, you know, first of all, I guess let's just get into the, the proper mechanics of it. Sugary beverages, I'm someone who admittedly drank a lot of Coca-Cola. In fact, it was sort of a comical thing for people in my life that 
I would have Coca-Cola on me way too often. Um, and at one point about a year ago, I just realized, wow, this has to be eliminated from my life. And I did. And I have felt so much better since then. But there's obviously a lot of people who drink soda or fruit juices and things like this, that um, it, it's something that they enjoy. What are the negative health, to state the obvious, I suppose, what are some of the negative health, uh, uh, the impacts, I suppose we would say, of consuming these sorts of beverages? Well, sugary drinks are among the um, least healthy things that you can possibly consume. They are high in sugar content, high in calories, and have almost zero nutritional value. But the biggest problem is that our children are drinking too many sugary drinks. Rhode Island is now ranked 11th in childhood obesity. So you can probably tell from my accent that I'm not from here. I'm originally from the deep south, from Arkansas, and now our obesity rates among children have surpassed those of many states in the deep south, really? which I wow. find to be alarming. So if mm -hmm. you look at the obesity report the CDC released in the fall, you will see that we are faring very poorly. And that's really a product of what I believe are really alarming disparities and high rates of obesity among our Hispanic and Latinx children here. And I believe that we have a duty to create a culture of health for our children and to foster healthy eating habits. One problem is that the beverage industry engages in predatory marketing towards our children. And those things I think are really unconscionable and they deliberately target poor children and children of color um, and try to get them to start drinking sodas early in life. And it works. And they, those predatory marketing practices really need to be regulated. Um, we also know from other places that when you tax sugary drinks, people tend to reduce their um, intake of sugary drinks. The short answer is that people switch to water and or other, you know, unsweetened flavored beverages. And that the, so we know that when we tax drinks, it has a really positive outcome on, um, on consumption. Of course, a lot of this takes place in areas that are food deserts in terms of access to a variety of, of uh, beverages or beverage options. And even in some cases, the water is questionable. What, what can be done to sort of, I mean, obviously, other than opening up businesses in, in places that are food deserts, what can be done to sort of stimulate people's minds to say, okay, water, um, other healthy choices, that's where I need to go, even if it takes me more time, it, the convenience factor is lost, but the return on that time spent getting, whether it's walking or driving to get other beverage options, um, how, how can that be pushed, well, I guess? I believe, first of all, in health education. So we have to educate people about making healthy choices. However, we also have to create supportive environments so that, so that people can make the healthy choices. If soda is the only thing available, people will be more likely to drink soda. So we also know that when you tax beverages, the beverage industry also is very responsive and they begin offering more healthy options. Um, 
you may also want to talk to some other folks in the private sector who Mm -hmm. have um, unpacked how the beverage industry um, markets these things. But what they do is they sell shelf space. Then they incentivize grocers year upon year. So they're incentivized to sell more each year so that they can make a bigger profit margin. And those things end up having rippling out to our kids. And that's a bad thing. I think the other thing that I want to mention that's really important is, you know, why now? Why are we doing this now? First of all, our obesity rates are alarming. So are our diabetes rates among children. But I think the other thing that a lot of people may not know is that one in four Rhode Islanders is now food insecure, Mm -hmm. hungry. That means that at some point during the month, one in four people may not know what they're going to have to eat tomorrow. They don't know how they'll put food on the table. And we believe that now is an opportune time to react in the wake of COVID. So many people are still struggling. So many people are still unemployed. And so many people are food insecure that we could take action now to promote healthy eating by adopting a program that's designed to address food insecurity. This program is called a SNAP incentive program. And it what it does is it doubles the value of people's dollar when they buy fresh produce like fruits and vegetables. We own and operate a mobile produce market called Food on the Move. And we serve about 5,000 folks And we know from our own experience that when you make healthy produce more affordable and available, that people, they want to eat healthy. Most people want to eat healthy. Most people don't want to eat junk food, but a lot of people can't afford to eat well, particularly during this time of economic crisis. And we believe that now would be an opportune time to offer something like that. And it could be funded by a sugary drinks tax. So it would be a win-win because we would have reductions in soda consumption, but we would also have an opportunity to address our alarming hunger rates. Yeah, and I want to get into the specifics of the tax in just a moment, but you know, when, when we think about sugary drinks, I mean, we're mostly talking about soda um, and, and dark sodas in particular. There's obviously severe dental issues that can come from this. There's obviously gastrointestinal obesity what else, what are the other negative things that I'm, that I'm missing here that are kind of directly linked to the consumption of these beverages? And what, what would you categorize as a sugary drink? For example, a like Gatorade, if you have a, you know, you pick up a Gatorade, does that count? Anything with added sugar. So mm-hmm. we wouldn't tax anything that is, has milk as its first ingredient. So mm-hmm. chocolate milk would be exempt, for example. Anything that is made from natural Um, fruit juices only with no added sugar would also be exempt. So what we're really trying to do is target the foods that have added and unnecessary sugars like sports drinks, sodas, colas, and other kinds of sugary beverages. So it includes sodas, but it's not just limited to sodas because there are things, for example, like Snapple, Mm. a 16 ounce can of Snapple, has about 65 grams of sugar. Um, so things like that would also be taxed. Yeah, they should probably put that inside the inside the cap when you open it up. What you're about to drink is basically <laughs> like sticking your face into a bag of sugar. Exactly. So one soda has about 10 teaspoons of sugar, which is alarming. And some people drink, you know, a big gulp has about 40. 
Um, yeah. So that's, yeah. So, and, and, and that's alarming. And, and, you know, a lot of people um, drink those, um, especially children. And so we want to make, we want to um, enable more healthy food environments across the state. What about things like the drive-through coffee places where the, you know, you, you end up leaving there, you've got, you know, uh, whipped cream and all, all kinds of additives and, and, and so forth. Does that fit the bill or is that something that is uh, kind of just left to personal choice, whether or not you want to get a black iced coffee or something that is essentially an ice but cream anything sundae? Anything that would be like a frappuccino that has added sugars, like you can imagine the things that they pump when you go to Starbucks to add yeah. the sugary syrups. Those would all be taxed. I want to get into the uh, the specifics of the taxation. We'll do it on the other side of this break. You're listening to Rhode Island's podcast of record, the Bartholomew Town Podcast, talking the sugary beverage tax. If you're planning to get a COVID-19 vaccine, there are three ways to make that happen in Rhode Island. You can choose a state-run vaccination site, a regional or community-based clinic, or certain pharmacy locations. To learn more about all of these options, start at c19vaccineri.org. There, you'll find all the information and links you need to make a decision and to schedule an appointment. That's c19vaccineri.org. What are the specifics of the tax and what are the numbers? What are the bills that are on the table um, this week, this Thursday inside the House? So we're looking at House Bill 5717 that will be heard by the Finance Committee this Thursday evening. We'll be testifying with about 40 other members of our coalition and other and other partners. And what this bill is proposing doing is leveraging a 1.5 cents per ounce tax on sugary drinks. So about 18 cents for a 12 ounce can of cola um, or a 12 ounce uh, sugary beverage, the proceeds from that tax would go towards a retail SNAP incentive program for people who shop with EBT cards. Their dollar would be doubled when they buy fruits and vegetables. And the intent of the bill is to address hunger, particularly among children in our state, but also to reduce consumption of sugary drinks taxes. We estimate, the state has estimated that this would generate about $45 million in tax revenue. And we worked with a, we commissioned an economics study of this and estimate that would cost about 25 to $30 million to administer the SNAP retail incentive program. So that is, um, that the dollars would be earmarked for the SNAP incentive program first, but we also estimate that above and beyond that, it would generate another $10 million that could be either directed to an, an, another earmark source or towards the general fund. And these are annual figures or over a, a period yes. of time? Forty, So $45 million in tax revenue. I mean, we drink a lot of sugary beverages then here in Rhode Island. Right. We do. It's remarkable um, how much um, we drink. And I think if you compare it to the marijuana tax, for example, they thought that it would actually generate much less than the first year. 
Mm-hmm. That might be because that has the subject to a lot more regulations and regulating is expensive. But just to put things in perspective, we do believe this could be a generous source of revenue for the state um, for the foreseeable uh, for the foreseeable future. Anytime taxation comes into into play, there's always going to be a couple of factors. One is going to be, well, it hurts small businesses. Now the small business is going to sell less soda because people are going to be uh, incentivized to to choose other options. What do you say to folks who are concerned about their bottom line being impacted by this? Well, um, a lot of people don't like taxes, and I do understand that. But I also just want to note that there are a lot of other healthier options out there that won't be taxed. So people do have a variety of things to choose from, a lot of folks, and we hope that people um, start making healthier choices. And we do believe that, you know, this has been done in 42 countries around the world with a lot of success, including in France and Mexico, the Netherlands, many different places, and as well as six major cities, Philadelphia, Seattle, Boulder, Berkeley, San Francisco have all adopted sugary beverage taxes and they have all seen enormous revenue generated as a result. And they've also seen big switches to water. Um, Just to put it in perspective, Philadelphia raised about $75 million from their sugary drinks tax, which was subsequently reinvested in their pre-K programs some of the um, Seattle has also invested their dollars um, in programs to alleviate hunger and promote healthy eating. So I think the most important thing really is to note that these, these taxes are effective for changing eating behaviors and drinking behaviors, but they're also important vehicles for reinvesting in, in health equity. And we are proposing um, that our dollars be reinvested in hunger alleviation efforts across the state. Yeah. And the health equity portion sort of feeds into my next question, which is that people are going to say, wow, you know, there's a disproportionate amount of people who consume sodas, colas, whatever it may be that, that, that are creating this health crisis. And those are some of the same people who can least afford an 18 cents per beverage tax increase, yet there may be no incentive to stop drinking the soda. So you're just basically going to hurt people. But the idea of the health equity component sort of hopefully takes the education piece to these these same folks. Is that sort of the idea? Right. And I think that we have a an obligation to, first of all, we have to, to address the beverage industry's predatory marketing practices. They deliberately target and focus on low-income communities of color and early um, adolescence and childhood. And we have to adopt policies that discourage those things. So I think we have a moral and ethical responsibility to do that. And then because those communities are so disproportionately impacted, we believe that the dollars um, that are generated should be reinvested in those communities and this is a perfect example of how we are disincentivizing um, unhealthy behaviors and incentivizing the healthy behaviors. So disincentivizing drinking, you know, sodas and sugary drinks and incentivizing fruit and vegetable consumption. Last question. Um, it's not at the state house, unfortunately. Well, it depends on who you ask. It's at the Veterans Auditorium right now. 
what's the early indication in terms of support for this um, in the in the halls of the vets coming up from the bathroom downstairs? What are the whispers right now? What do they sound like? Well, we have a lot of positive momentum. Um, this bill has been introduced, similar bills, let me not say this bill, similar bills have been introduced in the past and um, did not advance. We have already gotten more momentum than we ever had before because we've got a large broad-based coalition from people in the private sector, the nonprofit sector, acad- academic experts, clinicians, people from public health all agree that this is a good bill. Our um, political leadership has signaled that they want to adopt policies that advance public health, just coming off a major public health crisis. And we are very optimistic about um, about this bill's um, prospects. And um, I think that's because of our broad-based coalition, also because um, we're proposing a massive reinvestment that would benefit about 180,000 Rhode Islanders um, with sound public policy. So we, we feel optimistic. Um, I think it, it will be helpful to have media coverage that spreads the word about the positive aspects of the legislation. I think there's sometimes a lot of anti-tax sentiment and negativity. But when you look at our hunger rates and you think about what we're going to do about them, we need to do more than just provide emergency food response. We need a sustainable public policy response to our hunger uh, crisis that promotes healthy eating. So not just um, emergency pantries, but things that encourage people and help people um, eat more healthily. Okay. The most important thing that people can do who want to be supportive of this legislation is to contact their legislators and urge them to vote in support of Senate Bill 0327 and House Bill 5717. You can also go to our website at nourishrhodeisland.org and contact your legislator directly from our website. Rhode Island's podcast of record, B-Town, 